First Peter chapter four, verse number three. For the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of God, or the will of the Gentiles, when we walked in lasciviousness, lust, excess of wine, ravelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries, wherein they think it strange that you run not with them to the same excess of riot speaking evil of you. Who shall give an account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead? For for this cause was the gospel preached. Now watch this peculiar phrase. Was the gospel preached also to them that are dead? That they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to the God in the spirit. Isn't that a peculiar verse? We're going to look at it in just a minute. Father, have your will and your way tonight. Speak to us through your word in Jesus' name. And all God's children said, Amen. Amen. Well, remember this morning, we looked this morning and we saw that we are to arm ourselves with the same mind that was in Christ Jesus as he went to the cross. And as he suffered on our behalf. You remember we talked about this morning, to arm yourself means you've got to let God eliminate some things in your thinking. But then as God eliminates those things in your thinking, he begins to equip you to think rightly. Or you could say it this way, to think as he thinks. And then we found out that when we begin to think rightly, and we begin to live holy, you are going to have some troubles. You're going to have some trials. You're going to have some tribulations. You're going to have some persecution. But yet out of that persecution, because we know what Christ did, and now we see our trials or our troubles from a whole different light, they become motivation. That whereby we do not live the rest of our time in the flesh to the lust of men, but to the will of God. Now you say, why is that? Well, Peter says you need to be reminded of who you used to be. So I want you to look at the reminder in verse number three. So as he's talking about these believers that are being persecuted, he says, always remind yourself of who you used to be. How many of you remember before you were saved? How many of you are glad that you are saved? How many agree God made the difference? Yeah. And so many times it would do us good to remind ourselves of who we used to be that we would more understand who we are now. When Paul gave his testimony, here was his testimony. This is who I was. This is how I met Christ. This is who I am today. That's what a biblical testimony is. And so as Paul would give his testimonies, he would always recount who he used to be. Now, I want you to look at three things here he says that we need to remind ourselves of, okay? That's found in this text. Our past involvement. He says, for the time past of our life may suffice us to wrought the will of the Gentile. In other words, we were involved in things in our past. Before God saved us, 
that was not consistent with the mind that Christ gave us. This mind that we're to arm ourselves with. And therefore, we were in, had our involvement in the things of the world. We had our involvement in the things of self and instead of the things of God. This is why God, even in the Old Testament, urged Israel. Matter of fact, he created a feast for Israel to remember that at one time they were in bondage in Egypt, but yet God intervened and set them free and brought them to the land of Canaan. And God urged them to remind themselves of that. Why? Why do we need to continuously remind ourselves of how God liberated us and set us free? Because I want to tell you something. If you remind yourself of that, you'll remind yourself of the grace of God and the mercy of God that God showed you and showed me, and you'll never forget what God's done for you. And if you don't forget what God's done for you, you won't have much trouble at all loving him with his love. Because here's the thing. Love is reciprocal. And you say, what do you mean by that? He loved us that we could what? Love him. He first loved us. That we could, in turn, love him with the love he loved us with. Isn't it amazing today that we don't have to love him with our love, but he gave us his love to love himself back with. So guess what? This love relationship you have with him is reciprocal. But in your past, you were involved in something that was very different. Paul would continuously, uh, you find this in 1 Timothy, you find it in other places, where he would state or remind others of who he used to be. Persecuted Christians. But then the grace of God got a hold of Paul. And Paul was transformed. And so Peter says, listen, remind yourself of your past involvement. But remind yourself of your past influences. Notice what it says. It sufficed us. In other words, it was hilariously okay with us. If you'll let me translate it that way. It was hilariously okay with us to wrought the will of the Gentiles. In other words, we were more affected by the mindset of the Gentiles than the mindset of God before God saved us. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you what governs your life before God saved you. Are you all ready? Say amen. amen. Self. That's simple. That's what governs your life before God saved you. Your life was always bent to please self, to appease self, to satisfy self, to protect self. And then when God saved you, Everything changed because now it became about him. And now it's no longer pleasing self, it's pleasing him. No longer is it appeasing self. Now, through the Lord Jesus, we are appeased before God. It's no longer about the joy of self, but the joy of the Lord. The idea here, walked according to the Gentiles, is the same reference that you would find in 1 John when it says walking in accordance with this world. In other words, you would have the mindset that the world would have. You would be in continuity with the world's mindset instead of the mindset of God. 
And, he, and, and Peter says, remind yourself, not only of your past involvement, but your past influences. What influences you the most? And I'm going to ask that right now. What influences you the most? What controls your life and what you do the most? Is it you or is it him? You see, that's what he's talking about here. And so he, he goes into this, this walk of the Gentiles. But then I want you to see thirdly, he wants them to be reminded of their past indulgence. You say, what do you mean? What did they indulge themselves in when they were lost? Well, he gives a list here, walking lasciviousness, which means untempered passions, lust, excess wine, ravelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatry. But turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2, there's another list given that really, I believe, simplifies it a little bit of who we were before God saved us. He says in verse 2, wherein in times past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of obedience, among whom also we had our conversations in time past in the lust or the passions of the flesh. What's fulfilling? Fulfilling the desires of the flesh and the mind. And we're by nature children of wrath. So in other words, where were we when we were dead in trespasses and sins? We walked according to what our own desires were. But guess what? If you didn't have Christ before you were saved, then you didn't have the desires of Christ. If you didn't have the desires of Christ, all you had was the desires of your humanity, and the desires of your humanity were warped by the nature that you inherited from Adam, therefore the nature of Adam is self. So guess what? Your desire was self. Even your religious practice could be about self. The reason so many people are living moment by moment, week by week in church, sitting in church pews or church chairs all the time, and they're going to church, why? To appease themselves. You say, I'm not going to church for myself. Yeah, you are because you've been taught from knee high to a grasshopper. If you don't go, you're doing wrong. Y'all say amen. See, I don't get to go, I want to go. There's two different things. I don't have to, but I'm glad I want to. Amen. And so, in other words, even religious practice can become self-centered. Even ministry can become self-centered. A lot of times, people will serve others. Why? Because they get notoriety. They get recognition. It makes them feel good about themselves. You see, even ministry can be self-serving. And so everything about us, that's the reason the Bible says that our righteousness when we were lost was filthy rags before God because everything was tainted and everything was polluted by self. And so he says, remind yourself of who you were. Remind yourself of what you were involved in, who influenced you. And what you indulge yourself in before God saved you. Now watch it. But notice the reaction. Because remember, he's speaking of this in the past. Then. This is who you were in the past. <laughs> in other words, he said, that's not who you are now. How many of you are glad? So what does he say the reaction to this change of life is? 
wherein they, who are they? Those that are persecuting you. Wherein they think it's strange that you run not with them to the same excess of right. Speaking evil of you. You say, preacher, are you saying there are people that not only don't understand when someone gets saved and their life changes, but not only do they not understand, they don't like it? I'm saying to you, it happens all the time. And this is the picture. You say, well, how would anybody that has a brain the size of a BB not be happy for someone who God saves and changes? Let me give you a few things that will show you why they're not. The first reason why they're not is simply this. They are constrained. Now you say, what do you mean they are constrained? Notice what you think. They think it's strange that you run not with. Now, what does that mean? They think it's strange that you're not like them anymore. In other words, they're constrained to what? Their own way of thinking. Remember, a lost person's only motivation is self. Even doing good deeds, their motivation is self-centered. And so therefore, they can't comprehend. They're constrained to understand how somebody can live out of the realm of pleasing self and instead live in the realm of pleasing the Lord who they can't see, touch. And a lost person don't understand that. How long has it been driven in us from knee high to a grasshopper? If it feels good, do it. How long has it been driven in us from knee high to a grasshopper? If you set your mind to it, you can do anything. And what have we trained our children from knee high to our grasshopper? That life is about them. What you accomplish is about them. What you do is about them. Why you live is about them. I got news for you. Who we are is about God, not about us. And without Christ, we can do but yeah, we tell everybody, you set your mind to it, you can do it. I mean, it's, it's amazing. So, so those that are lost, they're constrained in their way of thinking. Now listen, they understand when a person ruins his life with drugs or alcohol. They understand that. They're fine with that. But you let a drunk get sober, you let an addict get, get right, and you find out that they don't understand that. And by the way, don't think it funny when a lost person makes railing against you because you got right. Because they did it to the Lord Jesus. I mean, listen, Acts chapter 26, verse 24. And as he thus was for, spake for himself, Festus said unto the loud voice to Paul. Here's Paul. Notice what they said about Paul. They said, thou art beside thyself. Much learning doth make thee mad. Can I put it in Tennessee mountain language for you? Paul, you've done went nuts. You said, well, preacher, they, you said they said that about the Lord Jesus. They did. Matthew, Mark chapter 3, verse 21. And when his friends heard of it, they went out and laid hold on him. And they said, he is beside himself. That's what they said of the Lord. You're nuts. You say, why? 
because they're constrained in their thinking. They cannot comprehend how God could radically change a human being. And a human being can die to self and desire to please him. Listen. Here's what I get called more than anything I get called. People call me all the time a legalist. You know why? Because I got conviction. Listen to me. You get convictions, people will label you a legalist. I'm unapologetic that every time the Word of God's preached, we ought to try to be there. Y'all hear me say amen. I had a preacher one time say, well, Brother Matt, you, you just a legalist. Nowhere in the Bible does it say you got to meet on Sunday night. No, but the Bible says they met every day in the Apostles' Doctrine. So you want to go according to the Bible, let's go there. Amen. You say, well, preacher, I'm not I'll be here if y'all will. You might have to bury me for studying so much, but I'll be here. I, I mean, listen, people, people use these labels. Why? Because they, they can't c comprehend it. It blows their mind. But not only, listen, I, I was talking, I, I, I'm working with a pastor right now from Gaffney, 75 years old, okay? I meet with him every two weeks. I want you to listen to him. He's, he's an interim pastor at a little church down in Gaffney, and he, <laughs> listen, God came to the place of breaking light on him on Bible salvation. And he went back to his church. I, we were sitting in clocks in Gaffney. And, and I was, he, he asked me, I didn't initiate it, he initiated it. He asked me, he said, what's your view on, on Bible salvation? I told him my view on Bible salvation. He sat there and just started squalling. He went to his church that, that he was interim at the next Sunday, preached a text expositionally on Bible salvation. A 76-year-old deacon got saved. When that deacon got home, he got lamb-blasted by his own family. His own daughter said, Dad, you went nuts. You were already saved. The man came back to the pastor that I've been working with, and he says, what do I do? He said, my family thinks I'm crazy. The pastor said the right thing. Here's what the pastor said. You just let God be God. You live out your faith and watch what God does. Amen. Amen. I want to tell you something. There's going to be a time when their family, his family's eyes will get open. But some people don't understand. And that's what verse 4 is saying. Now, look, not only are they constrained, they're confused. I, I mean, y'all know the passage very well. 1 Corinthians 2.14. It says that spiritual things are what? Foolishness. Foolishness to the natural man. Why? Because they're spiritually discerned. Why do we expect lost people to understand a spiritual work that God did? Are y'all hearing me? And so not only are they, are they constrained in their way of thinking, they're confused in their way of thinking. They don't understand why somebody would have a passion for the things of God. But thirdly, they're callous. Watch what it says in verse 4. They think it's strange that you run not with them to the same excess of right. 
What does that mean? They don't understand why now the things that used to make you happy from a fleshly perspective and the things you used to laugh and enjoy from a fleshly perspective now makes you be convicted. And now you detest. Why? Their hearts are calloused. They don't know what conviction is. They don't know what it's like to step out of the will of God and the Spirit of God take you out behind the woodshed. They don't know what it's like to be in fellowship with God and step out of the will of God and now all of a sudden it's like heaven is brass. They don't understand. They're callous about sin. That's the reason. Listen, when you're witnessing to people, I want you to hear me. That's the reason most of the time when you're witness to people that are lost, they're going to justify themselves instead of seeing themselves. You know why they justify themselves? Because if they don't justify themselves, they can't appease themselves because their focus is self. And if they don't justify their actions and justify their lifestyle or justify their lack of desire, then guess what? They have to see themselves, and because their focus is themselves, they don't want to see themselves the way they really are. Are y'all loving me? Say amen. amen. That's the reason our country has caved in to the LBGQ2 movement and all of that. You know why? Because, listen, we, they think that we're being, we're being absolutely crazy to say that homosexuality is a sin. And I want you to listen today. It don't matter if it's homosexuality. It don't matter what the sin is. Sin is sin is sin is sin. And the world will never, ever understand that until God saves and the only thing they can do is justify and blame others if you speak against it. Fourthly, they're consumed. Speaking evil of you. Well, they consumed with. They're so consumed with themselves. The only thing they know to do is deflect to someone else. Are y'all hearing me say that? That's when you walk up to somebody and you say, listen, you, you really need to consider this in your life. Oh, I got news for you right now. It's no worse than what you do. I preach meetings all the time. People come up to me. Oh, I say, preacher, if they'd have been here, you'd have got them. That's the one God wanted to get. Amen. Amen. I mean, listen. I mean, you need to understand. People are artistic in how they deflect. If they can only shut the blanks. Well, I know I shouldn't have done that. But boy, that deacon down at Liberty. Boy, you ought to just watch him. And you say, preacher, what's going on with nothing? I'm just making something up. I had a man one time I was witnessing to. He said, I don't want what you're telling me. 
I said, why don't you want what I'm telling you? Because this was when I was in Alabama. He said, one of your deacons, I was at the grocery store, and I watched him put in 50 cents in the paper machine. He took out four papers. If that's Christianity, I don't want nothing to do with it. So here's what I thought. I said, well, I said, you can let God save you. Or you can die and go to hell where he goes if he's not saved. Are y'all hearing me say amen? amen? See, we deflect. You say, why would we deflect? We're consumed by self. And so, listen, don't think it funny if, if they don't understand you. All right, no, notice, notice number three. Not, not only do we see here the reminder and the reaction, but notice the reality. Who shall give an account for him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead? You say, who is this, the who? Well, it's those that don't understand, those that, that are speaking evil against those that have been saved, those that have been chained. Listen, the unsaved may try to judge us, but there's coming a day that there will be a reversal in the judgment. We won't judge them, but judgment's been entrusted unto the Lord, and the Lord will judge one day. And so we have to understand the reality. So listen, I, I say this to you all the time, but I want to say it again. Do not get mad at lost people acting like lost people. Are y'all hearing me? I mean, listen, we get bitter at folks. And, and we get mad at folks. And we try to avoid people we don't like. And all they're doing is acting out who they are. Don't get mad at lost people acting like lost people. How else do you expect them to? Y'all still love me? Say amen. amen. All right, notice fourthly and lastly the rest. Look at verse 6. For this cause was the gospel preached also to them that were dead. Now what is that word that say? Is that saying the gospel is being preached to those who already dead, died? No. Listen, if they died, it's too late. So what is this saying? Here's what it's saying. It says, this is the reason the gospel was preached. Who are the ones that are dead? The ones whose lives were changed that the world didn't understand and the world martyred or killed for the faith. And here's what he's saying. But yet they had the hope in deliverance. Why? Because the gospel was preached to them before they were saved. And when they heard the gospel, God saved them. God changed them. The world didn't like it. And the world brought them to their death. But aren't you glad today that when God saved them, they've been delivered? And this is what he's talking about. And so here's what I'm trying to take. It says that they might be judged according to men in the flesh. Those that did not understand. They passed judgment upon some of these believers in that day. And their judgment was, let's get rid of them. How many agree when the Lord Jesus walked up on this earth and began to teach, and began to teach the law in a way that even the Pharisees were exposed in their, in their sin, and even the Pharisees were exposed in the realm of they now saw themselves 
as those that thought they were keeping the law. But now if this man is telling the truth, we're not even close to keeping the law. And we're desperate and we're hopeless. How many of you agree? They deflected. And here's what they determined. They sought from that day on to kill him. And time after time they tried to get the Lord Jesus and kill him. But here's what the Bible kept saying. But his time was not yet come. His time was not yet come. His time was not yet come. You say, what does that mean? That means God had already preset a time in which Jesus Christ would volitionally, not by the hands of man, but by the hands of his own volitional will, lay his life down. And at that time, he would lay his life down, willingly give himself to man, willingly give himself to the cross, and willingly die upon a cross. But can I tell you, you go back to chapter 2, verse 23. Why does he say that? Because he committed himself unto the Lord. And he knew the Lord would bring him out. He knew he'd die. But he knew he wouldn't stay dead. In other words, the Lord Jesus was willing to endure all that. Because he trusted God. More than he trusted man. And this is what he's saying. You can rest when those don't people don't understand you. You can rest. Why? Because the gospel was preached. You responded. God changed you. That was who you used to be. That's not who you are now. And you have been delivered. And you can rest in your deliverance. But not only hope found in deliverance, but hope found in destination. Watch what it says. Judged according to men in the flesh, put to death, if you will. But live to God in the Spirit. Now, who's he talking about? Those that are alive or those that are dead? Those that are dead. But they're not dead. You say, well, it says they're dead. But they're not dead. But it says they're dead. Oh, they're dead physically, but they're alive more than they've ever been. In other words, now they live in the spiritual realm of the glories and portals of heaven. Isn't it amazing? The world wants to rid Christianity from the face of the earth. You say, preacher, I don't believe that. Turn on the news. But isn't it amazing for every Christian across this world that is killed today? The world thought they won. And what they don't understand is the one that died has the greater victory. You say, preacher, I don't want to die. Well, listen. The Bible says God takes joy in the death of his son. For me to live as Christ, to die is what? Dang. D.L. Moody stood before his congregation in Chicago. And here's what he said. One of these days, and I quote, one of these days you will read in the newspaper that D.L. Moody of Northfield is dead. Don't believe a word of it. I shall be more alive then than I am now. 
So can I ask you a question? Go back to this morning. Do you have the mind, the same mind that was in Christ when he went to the cross? Or does man or self control you more than the will of God? Read one more verse to you and I'm done. Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. Fear not them that which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. But rather fear him which is able to destroy both the soul and the body in hell. Now I'm going to confess to you guys, a passage like this is kindly hard to get people to connect to in America. If I preach this passage in Romania, which I've preached before, they'd all understand it. I was preaching in Romania to about, I don't know, 60 or 70 missionaries from seven countries around Romania. Or, I'm sorry, in Budapest, Hungary. And one of the men was there from Romania. He was a pastor of two churches in Romania. An Islamic group come in, took his wife out of the church, and abused her greatly as three other men held him and made him watch. I was talking to this Romanian pastor and and I'm just going to be honest with you. I was sitting there. I was, I, I was about to lose it. I'm, I'm just going to be honest with you. My heart so went out to him. And I'll never forget this Romania pastor. He looked at me. And he, and he could tell that I was getting very emotional about it. And I'll never forget what he said to me. He looked at me and he said, oh, don't weep. He said, I'm glad that our faith stood out enough that we were identified with our Lord. See, we don't have any concept of that in America. But that's the mind that we need to be armed with. Now listen to me. And I guarantee you, Brother Owen, you will agree with this statement. Right now, we don't know what true persecution is. But if we keep going down the path we're going in this country, hang on. You're going to know what it is. Would you agree with that, Brother Owen? And I'm telling you, church, we better arm our mind with the same mind that was in Christ. Father, thank you today for a changed life. Thank you for what you've done when you saved us and set us free. Father, I pray right now, if there's anybody in here tonight, that Father, just have to be honest that their religious practice really and truly was about themselves. And it was not an overflow of their love and their affection with the mindset of glorifying you. Maybe today you're showing them they've never been changed. But Father, maybe in here today, there are many, many people in here today that just would be honest. I, Father, I hope I would be ready if persecution came my way.
Father, I just don't know how I'll respond. And Father, to be true of the matter, probably none of us know how we would respond, but Father, here's what we do know. That if our mind is armed correctly, we'll respond correctly every time. And so Father, I pray right now, if anyone in here tonight, maybe from this morning or tonight's message, just really hasn't contemplated what you need to do in their way of thinking. Maybe tonight they need to get alone with you and say, Lord, would you retool my thinking? But Father, maybe there's other folks that need to respond in other ways, but you just obey. Father, would you let us obey you in whatever you say to us in Jesus' name?